When it comes to the idea of servanthood, what comes to mind? What is your view of a servant, a biblical servant? We'll take a look at the role of a servant and servanthood next on Graceful Truth as we examine Romans. And once again, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, welcome. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We find ourselves back in the book of Romans once again, and we're taking a look at biblical servanthood and what servanthood really is. I think especially if we focus on TV, we can all come up with various ideas as to what a servant would look like. But from scripture, we get a totally different picture a marvelous picture of what biblical servanthood is all about. And it starts with a loving spirit. Let's take a look at this loving spirit together, shall we? Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's program. You turn over in your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 1. Last week we began to look at uh, biblical servanthood out of Romans chapter 1, and I just want to read our text for us um, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, last week we uh, looked at the first several characteristics of a biblical servant, and we're going to just in review go over those. But I remember growing up in Pennsylvania uh, on the property we had, we had a large pond in front of our house, and, and I don't know why, but my dad and grandfather, when they purchased this property for our family years ago, um, they liked stone walls. So the pond was probably an acre or so, and it was fed by two streams. And uh, I just remember growing up, looking at around every uh, body of water on our property, there was a stone wall, perfectly pointed, painted, all the lines, beautiful. Um, and I remember as a preteen in the summertime when most of my uh, older brothers, I was the baby, were out and about. Uh, my one brother, Johnny, would come home from dental school and he'd say, for the summer, and he would say, you're with me all summer. And every day, Monday through Saturday almost, we would spend hours 
My job was to mix the cement, the mortar. Now, we weren't necessarily building these walls. We were just pointing them up. But three, two, one, you know, the ratio. And sometimes they'd get it wrong and it'd come out like soup in our electric mixer and everything. He'd yell at me and I'd go back and, you know, try to make it right. But I remember watching him and, and he just had it, I think, flowing through his veins as a dentist. That's what he did. So he just loved pointing up these walls and just making them perfect. And even though we weren't building these walls, we were maintaining something that was built years before. And... Uh, Unfortunately, today, a lot of those walls are decrepit and fallen down because my brother passed away, who was the dentist, and I think he was the only one interested in really pointing up the walls. So uh, they, they lay in disarray now. They're still there, some of them, but for the most part, they don't look anything like they did in their original form. And as we go through this section of, of Romans, Paul is, is kind of doing that to our lives. He's saying, I'm just going to point you up a little bit. I'm going to give you a little touch up here and there. And uh, because some things begin to fade, some things begin to crack, and I just want to remind you of some things. And so there's, there's things here that Paul wants us to be reminded of. And he shares with us, basically, in the opening verses there, he, he begins to introduce himself. And we went through that uh, previously. But you notice that he didn't begin by necessarily sharing his theology or his doctrine or his convictions or his goals or his purpose. First, he, he really shared his heart. And that's so, so important. Um, and I think that, that sometimes you have to, you know, we can't just be dumping theology on people. We have to be able to reveal our heart to them, to show them that we care for them and that we're concerned for them, that we want to have compassion for them and, and on them. And uh, rather than just focusing on theology here, he really basically is, is focusing on himself. He says, rather than just give you a bunch of teaching, he does that in the book of Romans, but he says, rather than just do that, I want you to know that I'm a real person. And that I'm not just someone that you've heard about that's bigger than life. That I'm a real individual and I want you to know my heart. I want you to know why I serve the Lord. And that's what he begins to do. And he, we, last week we looked at the first one there, a thankful heart in verse 8. He says, I thank my God. He understood where the thankfulness should be addressed to. He wasn't thanking them. He was thanking God. So many times we get that mixed up. The Lord blesses us with something and a lot of times we'll, we'll end up thanking the giver of that gift more than we do the Lord. And secondly, we looked at his concerned spirit in verse 9. Not only was he thankful, but he talks about that God is his witness and he serves with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And then he says this, without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. And we discussed the idea that, you know what, if you're concerned for someone, you're going to be praying for that person. They're going to be on your mind. James Boyce, in one of his commentaries, he has a little section and he suggests three reasons why sometimes our perfectly proper prayers go unanswered. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, you're praying for something, there's a need in your life, it's legitimate, you're not in it for the wrong motives, and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and God is not answering. I don't know about you, but that's frustrating. That's like, come on, God, what do you, you know, everything's lining up here. What, this is the opportunity. Come on, answer this prayer. We can do this new ministry, or we can do this, or we can reach this person, or whatever. Well, he says this. He says, 
There's three reasons why our proper prayers may go unanswered. First of all, unanswered prayer may be God's way of teaching that we are not as necessary to the work we are praying for as we think we are. And that's important. That's important to understand that. Sometimes, you know, when we're involved in ministry and we're serving the Lord, we begin to think a little bit too much of ourselves. We think, oh man, boy, this Sunday school class wouldn't happen if it wasn't for me. Or boy, this fellowship team would fall apart if it wasn't for me. Or boy, if it, you know, if it wasn't for my hand in VBS, then nothing would happen. Or boy, if, if I wasn't involved in this church, man, it'd just be in shambles. Whatever you're calling, wherever you're involved in ministry, don't ever believe that lie. Because sometimes I think our prayers are, are, are good intentioned, but God is just saying basically, you know what? I'm going to show you that you're not as necessary to the work of God as you think you are. And now here Paul wanted to go to Rome, right? And he wanted to minister to these people. He wanted to do it out of a sincere heart. He didn't have any ulterior motives here. But you know what? These believers in Rome were apparently doing pretty well without Paul. <laughs> they were doing okay in the meantime. And while Paul maybe didn't have a wrong motive here, but God, I think, was maybe delaying his answer to prayer of him going there because we're not indispensable. None of us are. Secondly, Boyce says this, one of the second reasons our proper prayers may go unanswered is he may have other work for us to do. Sometimes we set our heart on a certain ministry, on a certain, maybe a person getting saved or, or a certain pe person we're reaching out to. And boy, we're just, you know, pining away after that person. We're praying about him. We're trying to rearrange our schedule so we can spend time or do this or do that. And, and we're praying and God doesn't seem to be blessing it. And sometimes God is kindly, gently, lovingly saying, I want you to do something else. <laughs> Yeah, you're gifted in this area, and yeah, you could do it in your sleep, but I have something else for you. I have something new for you. I want to stretch you a little bit. I want to use you in a different way. And see, with Paul, the Apostle Paul here, his, his ministry in Greece and in Asia and even Caesarea, where he preached to people like Felix and Festus and others, that was part of the ministry he was doing because he wasn't in Rome. And that was part of God's sovereign plan for Paul. If God has you stalled in a ministry and you're getting frustrated, you know what? The best thing to do is just serve him right there. Just do what God has called you to do. Forget about your plans and just say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to continue to do this until God opens another door, until God leads me somewhere else, until God shows me exactly where and how and, and, and who he wants me to to minister to. So he may have something else for you to do. Thirdly, Dr. Boyce says this, third reason why our proper prayers may go unanswered is there may be spiritual warfare of which we're unaware. We don't think about that much in our country, do we? You know, you go into some foreign countries, spiritual warfare is a very, very, very real thing. It's very real here, but we're kind of ignorant to it. The answer to Daniel's prayers in the Old Testament they were delayed. And remember why? Because there was a holy angel and an evil demon and there was a battle going on. And here's Daniel praying, God, answer this prayer. Oh, can't do it. There's spiritual warfare going on here. 
Paul explains that our conflict is against unseen spiritual powers and that prayer is our chief weapon. That's what he says. And we should use that in battle. Ephesians chapter 6, right? So we often don't know why our prayers are not answered in the time frame that we want them to. Maybe as quick as we want them to be. But you know what? Even during those times, beloved, we have to trust in and we have to submit to God and we have to submit to God's sovereign will. He's always prayerful, Paul is, because he knows that although he can thank God for everything that's been done, there's still a lot to be done. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be the solution to the problem if it's in God's will. And that should be our goal. Paul sought to give to others, not only for what he could get, but for what he can give and receive. It's a two-way street. We also looked at the idea of having a willing spirit. A willing spirit. Verse 10. He says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will. He was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. And he submitted himself, that's the next thing, submissive spirit. And then in verse 11, a loving spirit. Because he longed to see them. He desired to see them. It's kind of like when you have family that that come and visit and they leave. And you kind of feel that hole, you know. It's like, wow, you know, I kind of miss them. That's that's what Paul is saying here. Even though he he hadn't been there yet, he he still longed for them. Because he knew they were of the same faith. That's what we looked at Last week. Today, I want us to look at, first of all, in verse 12, he talks about a humble spirit. We sang that song, Humble Yourself in the Sight of the Lord. He says in verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't know about you, but that is so refreshing. It's so refreshing, you know, when. When we can go to a, some of the, the leadership or the men will go to a conference. And, you know, a lot of times you go to these conferences and you sit there and you're hearing experts talk to you about things. And it's refreshing once in a while to grab one of those speakers or one of the session leaders aside and begin to converse with them. And you know what? They're just like you and I. They don't have all the answers. They, you know, they're, they're, they're blessed to spend time and talk with you. Because they have a humble spirit. You know, when you run into someone who does not have a humble spirit, and especially in the service of the Lord, it's very obvious. Very obvious. Sometimes, you know, there are people involved in ministry, unfortunately, that really give it a black eye in a lot of ways. Because for them, it's all status. Somehow they think they're God's gift to the church. And boy, if they don't write the book or if they don't preach the message, then it's not worth listening to. That's not Paul's heart here. He was, he, he was a humble man, even though God gifted him and used him incredibly. But he was in, interested in mutual benefit. Paul wasn't coming in as some spiritual expert to dispense some, you know, uh, big information to these Roman believers. Now, I know you don't know what you're doing, so let me come in as the expert and I'll show you how to be a Christian. No, he said, you know what? I want to be encouraged by you too. It's a two-way street. And that's the demonstration of his humility. I mean, there's a lot of people in the church today, unfortunately, and in ministry especially, that think they have 
so much to give, but they're unwilling to hear anybody else. They're unwilling to learn anything. They're not teachable at all. A true servant of God, beloved, should never, ever, ever feel superior to others. Now, some of us, that's a little easier to do than others because we, we can't. You know, we don't have the capacity. We're not gifted with a great intellect or whatever. So, you know, we, we understand our place. It's pretty clear. But sometimes you, you run into men who are extremely gifted. They have almost photographic memories. Any scripture is right on the tip of their tongue. And it's, boy, they just rattle it off. And, boy, they know everything about everything. And, man, those people can be intimidating. But you know what? It's neat to run into somebody like that that's very humble, that's, that's just willing to sit down and talk with you at your level. Sometimes you hear some of these teachers on, on the radio or on TV, and I kind of chuckle because sometimes they'll, be, they'll say one sentence, and it'll have five words in it that I never even heard of before. So they say their sentence, whatever it might be, and then they spend the next five minutes explaining what they just said. Well, now I said this. Now, what that means is, why don't you just say it so everybody can understand? I understand that they're kind of on a different level, and this is probably their personality. But we need to be able to relate to people. We need to have that humble spirit. Don't ever think that that you're better than someone else because maybe you have something in your corner that they don't. We're all lacking in some form or fashion. And Paul says here, I want to minister to you and I want to impart my spiritual gift to you. But I know that because I'm going to do that, you're going to give something to me as well. And that's what ministry is. John Calvin once wrote this. Wrote this. He says, note how modestly he expresses what he feels, talking about Paul, by not refusing to seek strengthening from inexperienced beginners. And that's what these Roman folks were. He means what he says. Two, for there is, is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot in some measure contribute to our spiritual progress. Ill will and pride, however, prevent are deriving such benefit from one another. See, the church operates like this. You know, it, it, it's, it's people coming together, rubbing elbows. And, you know, there, there's some people that, you know, you ask them, are you discipling anybody? Well, no, no, I, I, you know, I'm not there yet. I, I need to learn more. You can always find somebody that knows less than you do. You know, it's just, that's just the way it is. And just find that person and spend time with them and impart whatever you know into their lives. And you'll be surprised. They'll impart things into your lives as well. Spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the purpose of the church. That's why we come together. That's why we gather to be built up in our faith. That comes through messages, through preaching. That comes through Bible studies. That comes through just hanging out together over a cup of coffee and talking about life. All those things are, are so vital Don't make Christianity, don't make church a two-hour deal on Sunday morning. If that's what you're doing, you're missing out. You're missing out on incredible blessings God has for you. Not only for you to benefit, but so that others can benefit from you. God wants us all to come together and to not just sit around and look at each other, but to impart help and wisdom and and spiritual giftedness into each other's lives. And as we do that, we're going to have a a mutual benefit happen. 
So Paul was eager to learn from inexperienced beginners. Sometimes when you're, I've been discipling people and, you know, sometimes they're, they're brand new in the Lord. And, you know, you kind of take on the role of a teacher in that way. You're teaching them things. And so you sit down, and sometimes they'll say the most profound things. You know, you read a scripture that you've, you've memorized and you know, and you're going through it. Yeah, yeah, this is what it means. And they'll ask a question. Well, does it, does it relate to this or whatever? And I'm, I never thought of that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Why haven't I ever thought of that? See, don't ever get to the point where you think, oh, I got it down. You know, I, I know it all. There's nothing else for me to learn. Because you're going to miss out on that mutual benefit. Because there's also a mutual blessing. He says in verse 12, not only that he may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, but then he says in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, it's a two-way street. You know, for, for every Sunday I come here and teach the word of God, by the end of that that time period of our fellowship time and interacting with people, somehow I walk away from this property each Sunday stronger in the Lord than I did before. And it's not because of what I'm doing. It's because of you. It's because spending time with you. And see, for my personality, that's the way it has to be. Because if it was just spend, peop- spend time with people because you, know, you just like to spend time with people, I would never spend time with people. <laughs> Because I'm not a people person. I'm just not. But I understand the value of investing time with other people. And that doesn't mean, you know, that you're always going to reap a ton of results. Don't fall into that kind of a, a mindset. Always be willing to learn others. Let's come together. The humble teacher always says, hey, let's learn together. You know, everything I'm giving to you, I got somewhere else. You know, I probably never had an original thought in my life. Well, maybe not that bad, but I, you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's, there's a, a few things that really irritate me. Well, there's a lot, but one of them is a pompous teacher. Just somebody who, who thinks that somehow they, they treat you as if you know nothing about anything. But they know it all. That just grates against me. And it grates against the heart of God, too. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter directs these comments toward elders. And he says this in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, it's not a job. This is not a job. I've often told the, told the elders, you know, you know what? I mean, just so you understand, this is a calling. It's not a job. You could come to me next week and say, you know what? Sorry, the till's dry. We don't have any money to pay you. Unless God clearly opened up a door somewhere, I would go get a job and I would continue to do what I do. Would it be harder? Sure. This is a blessing to be able to be at a church where you're, you're able to, to do this full time and to... to I was going to say make a living at it, but it's, that's really not the case. It's, it's more you're just freed up from other things to focus on the things of God. That's a blessing. I don't do this under compulsion. I do it willingly. And he says there in First Peter, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. In other words, it's not for a check. But eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is Christ, 
you will receive the unfolding, unfading crown of glory. Likewise, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The problem is we get caught up in exalting ourselves. We think, oh, well, you know, we're, we're worth this. I need to kind of promote this or promote that. No, we don't. Let God promote you. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.